welcome them to episode three of Outpost, the podcast for Campdown GC. Today we are cracking on with Luke and we are in Luke chapter 10 and there's three kind of main stories that we cover. Um, we're going to chat about Jesus ending up with 72, we're going to chat about the parable of the Good Samaritan and we're going to chat about Martha and Mary and then I interview our special guest Emma. So good, looking forward to it. Cool. So here we are, um, back after our little break, Bree. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. At our vision week, and we're continuing in our story. And like we said last uh, two weeks ago, Luke nine was so pivotal in the story of Jesus. Mm. And um, yeah, we kind of see a few of those effects um, early in in Luke ten, a kind of change of attitude, especially in this yeah, first story. Right. Yeah. So we've seen in Luke two, Luke nine rather. Um, that, uh, yeah, Jesus sort of takes a bit of a, a change in pace and in attitude. Um, and, yeah, we see that right at the beginning of Luke 10, um, that, that, that Jesus appoints 72 of his followers and sends them out in pairs um, to go uh, into the harvest. And it seems like a much more, um, yeah, a much more out there um, make make the kingdom known kind of thing um, approach <laughs> yeah exactly he says the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few ask the lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field what do you reckon this this harvest field is yeah so i, I think jesus is using this metaphor of harvest the way that he uses it all the way through the gospels to talk about the kingdom the kingdom of god um, the people that are going to choose to follow Jesus as king. Um, and he's in, in this story, he's, he's sending out a group of disciples, which, which has, yeah, you see has, has grown from 12 initial disciples um, mm. or really two or three initial disciples to 12. And then now there's 72 of them. Um, yeah. And he's sending them out to kind of prepare the way for him Um I actually was looking at a commentary just before we read through this. Um, and there's a, there's, there's a couple of things in this story that I guess might be worth noting. Um, so the first one is just that number 72. So some, some manuscripts say 70 and some say 72. Uh, and that is 70 is the number of elders that there were in Old Testament Israel. Mm. Um, so just like 12, the number 12, 12 disciples is important because there's 12 tribes. There were 70 elders. Um, and so 70, 72 disciples being sent out that the, these numbers are again, pointing towards what that harvest is. That harvest is God's kingdom, um, mm. in a, in a new way than it was in the old Testament. More, more levels of fulfillment and parallels with the old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and that that's what that that message we can know what the that the harvest is the kingdom because Jesus tells us in in verse nine he tells these disciples to go out and heal those who are ill and then tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Yeah, 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 for sure. And 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 like they have great success. These 
72 or 70. In verse 17, they sa- it says that they returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They have like this excitement of, of basically of mission, of getting out there and doing God's work. Um, yeah. And, and then Jesus has this really, um, yeah, cool response. He says, verse 20, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So yeah, these yeah, signs, so these these wonders, yeah, they're they're amazing and miraculous, but it's only good because it it points and it reminds people of of the the real spiritual warfare and the fact that um, you know being in in God's kingdom means that your name is written in heaven in the book of life. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So unless there's something else you'd like to say on that chunk, I reckon. We go and yeah. meet the Good Samaritan. Yes, let's go and meet the Good Samaritan. Such a famous story. Yeah. What do you What do you think about? What are your first kind of um, mm. associations or impressions on this passage before we jump into it properly? Yeah, I, I love how Jesus uses parables to communicate things and teach things. He like he'll, he'll just tell a story and then say, "Go and do likewise." He doesn't just he doesn't. Um, yeah, it's a very Hebrew way of teaching, obviously, um, where you you kind of you're showing images and scenes, and um, and your hearers kind of discover what mm-hmm. what the, the yeah. truth of the teaching is, rather than just having it shoved directly. Yeah, yeah it's in, indirect communication. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm actually super excited to be talking about this because. I, over the last probably three weeks, I've totally relearned how to read parables, <laughs> um, cool. which is, I'm still processing it, but it's actually been super excited. So I'm just, I'm stoked that this is the first kind of parable that we get to talk about since my kind of learning curve. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so the learning curve came through a great podcast by The Bible Project. Um, there's a 10 part series by a Hebrew Bible scholar about how to read the parables. Um, and it just totally blew my mind. So there's a few kind of like, oh, there's so much to say, but, and we do not have time. So I I think (laughs) I'm going to stick to saying like three key things to keep in mind when you read a parable and then a quick kind of, what does that say about this parable? Um, and I, every time I talk about this, I feel excited because it's just totally changed. Um, <laughs> awesome. They're just like come alive for me. Um, so the first thing is that parables are not theological explaining stories. They're not, what I mean by that is we very often come to a parable to uh, assuming that it's it's going to teach us a big philosophical or theological truth about salvation, about God, about our relationship with him, but that's actually not their purpose. Um, And the second thing that they're not is strictly allegorical. Um, So Mm. there was kind of a period um, in scholarship a while ago where that was a pretty trendy way to interpret them. And that has kind of stuck around um, in churches, but the more that we've understood Hebrew scriptures and um, Hebrew traditions and, and kind of the history of, of literature around, around Jesus, the, the more we've been able to see that they're not 
the way to look at them is not let's assign a meaning to every symbol. That's not what they are. Um, so they're not, yeah, just to, to recap, they are not designed to teach big theological truths um, and they're not strictly allegorical. What they are is Jesus' self-commentary on his ministry and his kingdom. So they are stories that Jesus told that are purposefully cryptic, like you were just saying, mm -hmm. um, that they, they let the reader kind of discover and think things for themselves. And they're supposed what they are supposed to do is really answer the question, what is God's kingdom like? Um, in a very direct way in terms of like, what is Jesus' mission? Um, what is, what's the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in like? And of course, there are theological truths that we can get out of that, but you have to take a hop, skip and a jump away from the immediate context um, to bigger truths um, at, to, to find kind of the ethical, moral or theological implications. They're actually, um, but they have, they have more direct things to say to us, which is exciting because, um, yeah, Jesus is trying to, really what he's trying to do in parables is flip people's expectations of what the kingdom is like and what he is like. Yeah, um, and so that's why they're cryptic because partly because he, um, he was actually the expectations that he was flipping about the kingdom is super controversial. Mm. And so for Jewish listeners who'd been expecting the kingdom of God to arrive in one way, and then Jesus is telling these stories about what it's like in another way that, that they were pretty dangerous truths to be telling. And so they are kind of cloaked and hidden. It's one of the reasons, um, so having said all that, what does, yeah, what can we learn about this parable in through that paradigm? Um, and I guess it's it's worth talking about the the setup for the story. So um mm. yeah, Tom, what's the why does Jesus immediately tell this parable? Yeah, well, this guy is um he's an expert in the law who approaches Jesus and um basically asks him, um, how, do, how do I get an eternal life? Jesus says, well, haven't you got a Bible, basically, or Torah? <laughs> uh, and then, yeah. Yeah, and he says, um, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart, um, strength and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yep, good answer. Go and do that. And then he felt like he wanted to justify himself. So he says, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the guy quotes perfectly two commands um, and says, basically says, yeah, yeah, well, I've, um, you know, I followed these commands. It's fine. Um, I'm, I'm fine. And he wants to continue to kind of justify himself. So he says, um, you know, who is my neighbor then? Who am I supposed to love? Uh, and so that it's that context that Jesus is telling this story about what love looks like in his kingdom. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Basically, in in one sentence, what he does is flip this guy's expectations of who is needy and who is the neighbor. Yeah. Um, this guy, if he was expecting Jesus to tell a story to illustrate what it looks like to love your neighbor, this guy would have expected him to be the hero of the story. Mm. He would have expected him to be the good guy, right? Um, yeah. But actually, the good guy is the Samaritan, which culturally were, were not thought of as good guys. 
yeah, the guy that you think is um, the worst of the worst and incapable of being good is actually mm. the one who, who really has fulfilled the law in this story. Yes. Because Jesus could have easily told a story about a priest who passes someone in need and helps him to communicate the point yes. of that's, that's being a good neighbour. But he chooses, like yes. you said, to put a Samaritan as the protagonist and shaming the priest and the yeah. Levite. So I think that's the, the real flip, the big flip is um, it's, not, it's not the knowledge. It's not like knowing the law. Um, it's doing no. it. No. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and this extension of, because um, the question that the guy asks is, who is my neighbour? Uh, yeah. And it's so interesting that Jesus doesn't actually, um, he gets the guy to answer it, right? Like, yeah. He, yeah. he says, he doesn't actually answer the question. He doesn't yeah. say, the guy asks, who is my neighbour? And then Jesus tells this story and asks a different question. Which of these, th- which of these three do you think was a neighbour? To the man so he's actually changed it from being like a noun to a verb hasn't he he's changed it from being like yeah the guy wants to know who do i have to love who who is yes. my neighbor who should yes. I, who should i love and instead of jesus saying you should love the samaritan that's not what he says right. he says you tell me who the neighbor in this story was who was the good neighbor yes that's so true. and the good neighbor was the samaritan it's a great point He's changing the, the the expert in the law's paradigm on what neighbor actually is. It's not it's not something that you are or aren't. It's that you yes, do. Yes, it's something that you yeah. do. Yeah. You could spend hours <laughs> talking about this. Um, yes. And, but I'm really yeah, keen to get to Mary and Martha before we close. Yeah, let's do um, it. Let's do it. Yeah, I love this story, um, particularly for me last year. So I did the um, gospel care group last year. It was, re- it was really big for me. And a, and a massive theme that came up for me, um, particularly last year, was realizing that I, was, that I had become more of a Martha in, in my apparent worship than a Mary. And right. so, yeah, this little story means a lot to me at the moment. Um, but, yeah, it's... It's this strange idea that uh, another countercultural or um, demolishing of expectations that Jesus has. Um, mm. um, yeah, I hope you guys have read it, but basically, Martha um, is is was worried and upset about many things, um, preparing the house for Jesus to come, and he's come into the house, and Mary's just sat at his feet and spent time with him, and Martha gets really annoyed at Mary for not not doing the chores, basically. Um, mm. But then Jesus says, no, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Um, and before that, um, few things are needed for indeed only one. It's, um, yeah, sometimes as Christians, we can get a mentality of there is so much to be done and it's overwhelming and we can get upset about it and we're doing everything in our own strength and, um, we we even think that that's what worship looks like is to be exhausted for for God in in the tasks that we accomplish. Um, but no, it's the but Jesus calls us into a relationship and a and a rest. I think almost before anything else is done, He's calling us into a rest with Him. So awesome.
Well, that sounds like it's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a wrap. folks at home how we met how we're friends oh uh, you can do a short version how we're friends the short version yeah because otherwise the long version is a long version <laughs> i think the short version of how we met is that in the start of my second year at uni um in london that's right isn't it yeah um in London, where I was a member at the Globe Church. Um, yeah, one glorious Sunday, I arrived. I noticed this, you know, Australian girl there. And not straight away, but pretty soon <laughs> we became fast friends. Yeah, yeah. And we were in a small group. So that just, from there, we spent more intentional time together. And then I think we soon realised we were quite kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. Like we, I studied theology, you know, Brianna studies theology and loves all things that way inclined. Yeah, um, and that, that's to talk about. A lot of our, one of my favourite things about our friendship is the fact that you love God's word and you're curious and intelligent and you love applying your mind and your heart to his word um yeah which is one of the reasons that i thought it would be fun to chat through the parable of the good samaritan with you and Mm. the other reason is to do with how you have more recently been spending your time since finishing university can you Mm. tell us what that was yes so after finishing uni I were, I started working for an, uh, a non-profit called IJM. I ended up being placed in Mumbai in their office there, which as in their partnerships team. So basically the team that work with local churches and local communities. So we actually get to go like out on the field more than any other team and actually get yeah get to know the communities which I just loved and yeah so moved out to Mumbai in September fortunately I've just had to come back because of COVID-19 um but yeah up until about a month ago I was in Mumbai working with um IJM so good so good so I guess that leads me to the two questions that I want to ask you um the first one is looking at the parable of the good samaritan in luke chapter 10 
yeah, what jumps out at you? What do you feel like we learn about who Jesus is and the kind of kingdom that he is inaugurating and what does that mean for us? And yeah, I'm, I'm keen to hear what, what you feel like the significance is for you and yeah. Mm. I think the first thing that jumped out at me was pro- probably um, how how much it instantly made me think about IJM mm. and specifically um, my my colleagues because I think it's easy just to think of this this huge multinational organization this charity even and think oh yeah they do a good thing but uh, I think know when you like know the faces of the people who um work so so hard in in and out of the office every day it becomes much more real and my team my boss especially he he was just yeah very inspirational guy in that he really lived and breathed these words even now being remotely that that was get their um attitude of like are they our neighbor and if it's not us if we're not the good samaritan who who will provide Hmm. and i think maybe in like a more like western culture it's easy to think oh I could help and if I don't someone else will yeah right um but I think that's not the case in India (laughs) in their context yeah yeah, exactly if they're like oh actually no if we don't seek to um like care for children Mm -hmm. who are born in the brothels and whose parents currently you know aren't earning any money because the trains have shut down or or you know farms are closed etc then no one else will Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I think um so I think it's that jumps out on me at the passage is actually how can in a less obvious context how can I maintain that it is my duty to care for my neighbor um and not this someone else will hmm. um yeah yeah do you feel like that was something that you the Lord grew you in while you were in India this you, you've always had a heart for mercy ministries and loving people well I think but I yeah I think I've I I witnessed uh the Holy Spirit stir up a real affection for the people that you were working to love do do you you feel like you saw that happen yeah I do I think first actually with my colleagues and then I would say with the people we were working with so just I think I found the office culture maybe initially just so so new and confusing to me there were so many cultural differences and things which would just really um really frustrate me or just be like I don't understand how things work um and I actually had to really really practice loving yeah just loving my fellow brothers and sisters and being patient and I think like which is interesting because it um that cultural difference that you really notice even in your even between you and your colleagues um 
that is exactly the kind of difference that this parable is drawing out. Hey, like it's so much easier. That's why Jesus paints the Samaritan as being like the surprise goodie in the story because it cultural barriers can feel really hard to overcome. They, they show our unwillingness to love people pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah. I think it's so, so easy, so much easier to love people who, who look like you or who come from the same experience as you. And I think I really felt that like at the beginning, like it was much easier to, um, yeah, just, I guess love love the other interns there who were just like me and it was easy to connect on but with other people um like most of my colleagues who there was like little in common at least initially it was harder to yeah it required work um but the fruit of that work was immense because like the love that I had for them when, when I left was huge and I felt mm-hmm. so so blessed by our differences and um by those experiences and I think one thing just came to my mind as an example of a a moment for me which really stood out I was um in a like a in an auto rickshaw and this woman like a like a beggar came over to like the um the rickshaw I was in and she had a little baby and you always kind of have to be very wary in that situation like most people would say, you know, don't give money, give food if you have any, um, and just like ignore. And so that's kind of how I started off doing. It. I was on my own, so I was like, okay, just. And I was looking at this woman's baby, and I was just like, he is so adorable. And I was looking at the woman; she must have been, I don't know, like eighteen, mm. um, maybe younger. And I was just like, I actually have nothing to give you. I have no food. And I can't really, I don't have any more money than the money I have to pay for this rickshaw. Um, but I was looking at her, I was like, you're just like a human. Like, you need to be treated with dignity. And how can, how can, how can you when you, like, your life is just, like, begging on the streets and people just look away from you and just ignore you. And I was just so struck in that moment that the most like loving thing to do was just play with her baby and not to be afraid that this dirty child was going to be running his hands all at mm. my arm because the traffic was terrible so I was there for a good 10 minutes <laughs> and I was just like oh I just felt so so much like like sadness for that woman who yeah who would just be ignored all the time and I didn't really do anything for her other than the simplest thing which was just to acknowledge that she was another human being that she had this sweet baby that you know wasn't afraid to to say hi and to like hold him and to smile and that woman I could see her face so clearly because it was just really I was like the most basic level like before you even like going out your way to love and care for someone like the Samaritan is doing are you even just showing that that person has inherent value and dignity yeah um and I think there's maybe a bit more obvious in a context like mm-hmm. India, where there's obvious poverty and people um, aren't treated like well or live able to live a dignified life by certain people's standards. But I think in our own context, actually, if we really search our heart, there are people in our churches, maybe even in our homes, 
which we don't treat with real dignity um, mm. and respect. Um, and I'm like, if you're not doing that, then how will you expect to treat the <laughs> the beggar on the street with dignity and respect? Yes. Um, yes. That's quite clearly what the, you know, the, the priests and um, the Levite, well, yeah, they failed to do. Yeah. To see. Yeah. Yeah. I think is yeah Jesus did that for us and when we accept Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit we are being made new and that is our like when we do treat people as they're meant to be treated as image bearers of love and respect and dignity I think we feel it in our soul that that is right that is Mm -hmm. how it is meant to be Mm -hmm. because we bear we bear the image of Christ and when he sees that he's like yes Mm. like he says you go and do likewise so when we go and do likewise like (laughs) god is pleased with that Mm. and so it makes sense of us not i think in every level of what it means to be a person and what it means to be a christian because that is what we were made to do and what we are being made to do and which we one day will Mm. be able to do perfectly yeah um yeah, and that and like little taste—it's like a little taste of the new creation, isn't it? When mm. that moment happens, when even in our weakness and our deep and ugly sin, we mm. choose to conform to the image of Christ and love someone. Mm. It's like this moment of like, oh, that's what it's going to be like when there's no more sin. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a moment in lockdown. Like I was just thinking, like, oh, that was said a bit about what it looked like for me in India in some ways but like now like it probably just looks like living with my brother and his wife and baby and I'm like what does it mean to love them mm. well and to not not grow weary of doing good that's what I tell myself yeah, yeah. don't grow weary of doing good yeah yeah and, um, similar things how do you when you're just seeing like one person but two people a day mm. how do you how do you do that yeah I'm like for me I'm like just do like the routine I'm like can I empty the dishwasher and I'm like do that like every day and yeah my brother could do it but this I think just don't grow weary of doing good this is just a kind thing very simple thing to do and the other thing is because we were reading Philippians it's like to count one another's interests more than your own it's more important than your own and I'm like if I count my interests more than theirs then I'm not gonna uh, empty the dishwasher <laughs> or do the hoovering <laughs> but I think my interests are more important and I think it's just really that simple and that like those that yeah micro but it is those moments where I have to tell myself don't grow weary of doing good count others interests more than your own and I think when I came back, one of my friends said to me, oh, it must feel really hard and a bit, like, pathetic to have gone. I don't think the pathetic was the word, but, like, a bit, like. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> no, I can't. It was something like, it's like degrading kind yeah. of thing to have gone from, like, working for, like, IGM in Mumbai and really, like, I don't know, just just such exciting work on like every level really to like your service looking like serving a family making a cup of tea in Yorkshire 
make up the tea and do the dishwasher. And I think when they said that, I was like, oh, that is, yeah, I really don't, I really want to fight against feeling like this is any less. Mm. Um, because the Lord calls us to to go and do likewise to all people in all places at all times in our lives. And I don't think, um, yeah, mm. what um, that one we're just caring for people in our family and in our church is something less important than caring for um, anyone else in really obvious need. Like is yeah, um, yeah, and, it, and it's convicting to remember that because it's so easy to be like, well, I don't have any opportunities right now to lay my life down for someone else. I don't have mm-hmm. any opportunities to bandage a guy up on the side of the road and put him on my donkey. But like, I do have an opportunity <laughs> to take the rubbish out and yeah, not yeah. not think of my time as my own and yeah, yeah. It's Good. That was so great, Em. I think I think that chat will be really helpful for people. Thank you for thanks for chatting to me. Thanks for chatting to me. I just you know you just babble away. You know me. <laughs> <laughs>